Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. And one of them is joining me today. Uh, his name is Greg Berman. Um, and what is part of what is so interesting about Community Profile is that I uh, meet these people in a specific context. Um, and we interact within that context. Um, and then I do something like this, and I find out stuff that I had no idea. Like for me, Greg Berman is a playwright um, uh, who's writing super interesting, crazy, theatrical uh um, mythical stuff that really like pushes the boundaries of the medium. And then I find out that he is also a psychiatrist. That's right. So um, tell me ab about that. Uh, I guess just tell me about Greg. Like, who is Greg? Where did he come from? How did he wind up being a psychiatrist? And when did this writing thing start? Um, I am from the suburbs of D.C. And I, uh, I come from a pretty, uh, I don't know, I'd say socially conservative, not politically conservative uh, background. And so I feel like I was kind of uh, brought up right through, like, uh, be a doctor when you grow up. So I did that. Um, I had, there's a few doctors in my family, like my dad and my grandfather. Um, and then I actually feel like, and since we're talking about community profile, I feel like coming out really helped, um, kind of blew things up for me a little bit. So um, while I decided to be a psychiatrist early in college, um, I always had like, uh, I think of creative side that I just was ignoring for a long time and just kind of like kept knocking at my door. Um, and it, it was odd because it wasn't until after September 11th um, that I decided that I should start writing. So that's what happened. It was kind of my reaction to September 11th. Right on. Yeah. When you say uh, when you say things blew up for you. Yeah. Can you share as much as you feel comfortable sharing about what that meant exactly? How how that manifested? Well, um, I was in New York in, on September 11th, um, and I was working at Bellevue Hospital, uh, training to be a child psychiatrist at the time, and. Um, I just felt really, really so helpless um, and saw so many things, kind of like what's going on right now, um, that I felt like uh, I just don't know what to do. And I think the thing that it brought me to was what is really important in life and what, what do you really want to focus on? And I wasn't really feeling the deep meaning in my work that I wanted. And um, I just 
felt like just like start making things. Um, and that's kind of where that came from. I was really into photography at the time and imagery. Um, and but I, my technical skills were lacking. I was like, just write it down. Just like start writing some images down. Um, and I think at that point, I was also just reading accessible things like David Sedaris and kind of like, hmm. this is a person you can you can like emulate this is a role model a gay role model and boom there suddenly you are like alone and um let's like pick up somebody who's inspiring to you right and you know david sedaris is such a great example of somebody who's turned his life and like his particular trials and uh you know things that go on that have either held him back or pushed him forward and make it into art and with him, you know, super funny art. Yeah, just kind of like where you feel totally knotted up and ashamed or like fucked up. And then suddenly it's like becomes like this really wonderful, amazing thing. Um, I just reread his story about working. I didn't even realize it's in Odell, Oregon, out here in the Apple um, factories. Um, and he has these like pathetic summers working at the Apple factories. <laughs> and then he almost gets um, um, not funny, uh, like raped, but he makes it it funny because he runs out and grabs the mother's coat and there's like these filthy Kleenexes in the in the pockets and um, and that is just that kind of stuff that I'm like wow that's amazing yeah. I want to be you it's totally fascinating to me um, it's like I came up like I've always been an artist just because that is always where my head's been but I've been meeting a bunch of people lately like you feel like psychiatrist that should that sounds like a totally like worthwhile job that would fill your life you know and I, I was i was just interviewing somebody else for the oregon arts watch that, that i write for and they had a whole different life but now she's in screenwriting because even though the successful business model was what she was part of and she was making tons of money doing it and you know getting awards doing it in business you know it wasn't fulfilling and i was like whoa you know, you're a psychiatrist, and that's not scratching that itch. That amazes me. It's really interesting because psychiatry is really fascinating and wonderful, and there's so many human connections, too. I think it's less about the not scratching that itch and more about, like, uh, what do I do with all of this that I'm left with? Um, there's like a kind of a heaviness and like lots of knots that I feel like I'm experiencing all the time of difficult problems that are um, not necessarily fixable or moving in the way that, you know, we might like to in the logical world. So you're like constantly imagining like creative solutions or jumping out of that regular world. So I think like writing or art really helps kind of like fulfill a person who's in a mental health field who can easily get burnt out or stuck or um, and hmm. create more of a like a dimension. I've always thought, seen them not as, ah, oh, this kind of stinks, move away from that, but more like how to bring it together, how to bring the psychology and the medicine together with um, with like creative stories. And I know we did my play Barto, um, and it's a lot about that. Right, right. Um, and so community profile, how did community profile fit into your life? Um, well, I have a good friend named Joe Rudy and he happened to hook into it and he told me about how like wonderful it was that people were getting mentors and and all I had to do is come down on one Saturday a month and so I live walkable to that and so I just um, 
dropped on in and <laughs> um and I know Josh um and respect his work and profiles work a lot and so I really want to support what they're doing. I know that they did this with disability people with disabilities the year before mm-hmm. and I feel like these projects are really worthwhile to be a part of. Yeah, back when we had to walk someplace. Right. Yeah. And could get together in a room. Um and that was the really cool thing because actually Joe and I were talking about this and um gosh like how long we've been out and gay and um it we're ne- we never go to stuff like that like where we're in, in like a community i always talk about like i feel like the gay community uh, or the queer community lgbtq community is getting kind of fractured and lost and um particularly with gay men i i feel like um there's not always like an openness of let's get together with different kinds of people different ages different um huh. um Older, younger, um, wherever you are on the letter on the on the on the scale, like let's just get together in a room and talk, and that just never happens. All our spaces have been separated for so long, and yeah. our stories have been separated for so long. And um, I don't know, uh, it's just any um, like new invention of community is so wonderful. I right. have to support that. And I think like um, groupism is uh, sometimes really um, not good for creative expression when people are starting to p- put themselves in boxes and um, separating themselves from other groups. Um, we, we don't get like a clear voice. I mean, I think the th- Thing about being a writer is you're constantly trying to get to the genuine quality of a true voice of your true voice and that's the amazing thing it cuts through everything um, so that's why I feel like I keep coming bad back to it in good times and bad times and right now it's kind of a bad time to be honest <laughs> a little bit um, <laughs> in the world and you know sometimes I'm doing okay I mean Materially, I'm doing fine and extremely fortunate and lucky, but um, I constantly am feeling down about other people's situations and um, and my situation and isolation and um, all the horrible things that are happening in the world and how can we fix them? How okay. can we do anything? There's right. like a hopelessness. So I feel like this voice, like bringing back this voice, wherever flicker it comes or wh- however it can come is so important. Um, so, yeah, I love the idea of getting people in a room to write. So you're a practicing psychiatrist right now still? Yeah. Whoa! This would be a heck of a time to be doing that job, I would think. It's Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I kind of keep hoping that everyone's doing great and going to be okay. But, of course, that doesn't continue. Like, um, people fall and you hear bad situations and um, I feel terrible for, for people and for my patients. But I, as a group, I feel like they're doing very well and, you know, I'm proud of them. Right on. Right on. Mm-hmm. So you brought something for us to read today. This is a new play? Uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things about going to Community Profile is I feel like it gave me a lot of permission about writing about myself. Um, hmm. And, you know, I kind of came... Out of, um, I wrote this play, Bartow, about um, Rick Bartow, and I feel like um, I kind of crawled inside that um, story um, and snuck myself into it. So I wanted to write something that was just like all full on. This is like a story of mine. Wow. Um, Yeah. Okay, great. And it's called, at this point, it's called Disordered. Yes. Um, Cast of characters, late 40s gay Jewish psychiatrist, time. 2020 in the age of lockdown place inside a closet in Portland, Oregon, USA. 
Production notes. This is an autobiographical work. Names have been changed and in most cases are represented by a single letter from darkness. The announcer's voice is gravel like robotic, but animates as if a bird could speak. The jarring nature of this announcement jolts G awake. I-E-T. Morning light. G startles from sleep after falling asleep inside the closet. He's wearing a black nightgown and black evening gloves. Coming to, G notices an open cardboard box. Acronyms. Mental health loves them. And so does the military as an IED, intermittent explosive device, but also IED, intermittent explosive disorder. That diagnosis was last in the, I don't know, DSM-4, otherwise known as the fourth volume of made-up shit. Psychiatrists love to put things in boxes. You know who else likes boxes? The gays. Oh, they love to put you in a box like you're a twink, daddy, bear, otter, wolf, panda, seals, and like all the animals of the kingdom, not to be confused with the furries. I don't really think I fit in any of the boxes. I swiped these evening gloves from my mom's closet and this nightie. I hadn't seen them in years, but with this lockdown thing, I've been going through boxes. Thank mm. God my mother never threw anything away because... On one visit, maybe like a decade ago. Gee, get down here. I got the matzo ball soup with the extra balls. Just how you like it. It's getting cold. One minute. Jesus. I wonder if that box is still there in the secret drawer inside her bureau. I don't know why she called it a bureau because it kind of seemed like a plain old dresser to me. But while my mother was downstairs, I was like, I'm going in. And the padded teal box was there. So I swiped it. Put it in my suitcase, the whole fucking box. Didn't even check to see what was inside until I got back to Portland. And oh my God, it was there. The evening gloves, the pink scarf, the fake pearls. Untouched since like the Reagan administration. You know, all the shit I used to dance around in on Saturday nights just at past the age of not having a babysitter. You know, like when they'd leave me all alone. Didn't you do that? go through the family shit when they went out. Gee, oh my God, coming. And that's when I got bold, went back in her closet and swiped the black nighty. She'll never miss this. To be fair, she hadn't seen this little number since the Nixon administration. And the nighty was just the icing because really it was all about these gloves. Old friends together again. Right on. Well, you know, uh, part of... Like for me, as like the facilitator of community profile, so much of it for me is about, um, you know, what I, what I tell everybody is learning about these lives that I know nothing about, you know, um, and and sometimes, uh, and I hope people will realize this is with this podcast. Sometimes you don't recognize the meeting points with uh, people that you have. Um, how do I phrase this? Like like the spots where like my life touches this life, even though say I am not particularly of the LGBTQ community. This um, the part where you're like, uh, you know who else likes boxes? The, the gays. Oh, they love to put you in a box. You know, I feel like that. You know, I have seen that so much in my life with my own communities that I fit into, and the resistance to that. You know, um, it's like it's, it's interesting that you're like people are trying to put me in a box and I'm trying, to, you know, to not be in there. And I feel like I very rarely meet people who are like and I want to identify as just this one thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like the idea of um, 
evening gloves, like being something I would admit that I want to dance around in is not something I would have done years ago. But lately, Hmm. um, like one of the people that came to Community Profile um, and led our group was um, Dan Katroser, who's a playwriting teacher of mine. And he gave us a prompt that was um, right about um, an object that you associate with queerness. And that's like, whoa, I don't associate anything with queerness. Um, maybe that comes from a homophobic, internalized homophobic past. Like, I'm Greg. Um, but then it's like, <laughs> um, wait a minute. Those gloves, those evening gloves, like, that's it. That's There's magic in there. Wow. Um, and so, actually, um, this writing workshop I used to go to always started with um, tell us, like, um, three truths and one lie. Um, and so everything in this piece is actually true except for the one lies. I didn't steal the evening gloves from my mother, but I did look to see if she still had them there, and I would have taken them if they were still there. That's fantastic. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. Great. Should we continue? Sure. And Violet was assigned to me. While I was aware of her danger, I always thought of Violet as kind of nice, quiet, sweet, demure, actually. There was this one outside area, like a caged balcony high up, because the unit was on the fifth floor, where I'd go outside and sit with Violet. How are you feeling today, Violet? Do you like flowers? We're here to talk about you. Because I got a whole bunch of them. I got tomatoes, me some tomatoes and eggplants. When can I go? Why don't we go over your goals? I can't remember what Violet did to get on the unit, but I do remember that she was known for these violent rages, and I was fully aware of this every time I sat with her. I-E-D. Intermittent explosive disorder? It's not that simple. B-B-D. B-I-D. Borderline personality disorder with borderline intellectual functioning? Come on! M-R. Enough! Anyway, I talked to her like every workday, and Violet would turn things on me and say something like, What'd you like to do? And I'd deflect the question. One day I heard the nurse say something like, That boy is so far up her ass, she's in love with him. Wow. Later that summer, these other med students came on the rotation, two third-year women older than me. It was good to have company. They even led groups. Today we're going to talk about HIV. There was this man on the unit who wasn't my patient, but I remember he was particularly handsome, looking a bit like a displaced O.J. Simpson with a handlebar mustache. He sounded so normal in community meetings, so rational. Can we get condoms? And I thought to myself, what in the world did he do to get himself here, and what's he going to do to keep himself here? One day in community meeting, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there, but V lost her shit. Out of nowhere, she picked up a large plastic giant chair and threw it through the glass window of the nurse's station. G, as Violet, becomes angry and with superhuman strength picks up a box representing an oversized plastic chair and throws it to the plate glass window of the nurse's station. Sound of broken glass. We got a code red! It all happened so fast. Glass everywhere. Everyone ran to the scene. Let me go! Stop there. Let's take a break right here. This is Voices from the Real World featuring Greg Berman. I'm Josie Seed, one of the mentors in Profile Theater's community profile by and for black women. 
Do you want to cultivate your own creative voice and use writing as a springboard for conversation and fellowship? Check out Community Profile, an affinity space exclusively for black women that offers community building through monthly writing workshops with award-winning writers and exceptional teachers. There is something undeniably powerful about exploring one's own creative voice in a dedicated affinity space just for us, by us. Due to COVID-19, we aren't meeting in person at this time, but we are meeting online and have found it to be a rich experience for participants. The program is 100% free and 0% pressure. You'll meet people like you of all ages and backgrounds who are also there to work on their craft, share their stories, listen to yours, and together find a little bit of wisdom, support, and love. For more information, go to our website, profiletheater.org, and click on the Community Profile tab and see why one recent participant called this program a life changer. And we're back to Voices from the Real World, featuring Greg Berman. One thing I should say yeah. that I skipped was um, the unit um, that I worked in, and this was after my first year of med, med school. It's called the Carter Center, which apparently no longer exists. Um, but um, everybody was black. The staff was was black, and there was like a like a side of the hall where there was like white professionals, and then there was like black. Everybody else was black. It sounds like a never a dull moment kind of place. Yeah, I mean, it was like a weird, crazy summer camp, really, because um, I was left to kind of figure out what to do and just kind of talk to these people. And um, I feel like nothing ever changed there. They were just in there for like ever. Um, and I, I think this is like thought of as the state hospital, which is where people just go. It's like the last place people go after they like um, bounce out of everything else. Or maybe they have legal charges or something. But um, it just seemed to me like people were just stuck there and not really getting treated. Was it the was the whole hospital segregated or was it just the staff? There was a black staff on one side and whites. But Oh, um, well, it was like maybe there were some professionals of different um, ethnicities in the um, in the rounds or professionals, but it would be like um, everybody who worked on the unit, like the nurses and the nursing staff, the nursing aides. Um, there was like a hierarchy and the hierarchy followed racial lines as well. Oof. Yeah. And what year was that? Uh, this is 1992, which we think of as a time when we're like, we don't have racism right. anymore. Like, yeah, we just don't talk about that. And I guess for me, I th I think I'm realizing how blinded I am to it as a white um, cis male. Um, you know, like, um, I feel like as a gay person in 2020, we're so privileged. Like, I can go almost anywhere and be treated as, like, absolutely part of on the menu, like absolutely normal. Um, and um, but there is a privilege actually to being like a, a white gay man. Right. These days, even though every once in a while it does kick you in the teeth sure. sometimes too, sure. Um, sure. in surprising ways. Um, but yeah, this was a weird time because this summer I, was the summer I think I was also coming out and um, I was extremely passive. That's a lot going on, brother. Yeah. And um, there was this weird thing where they were saying that this patient liked me um, and I was trying to like figure out how to ex allow gayness and explore it. Um, and there was like a friend of mine who got a like a ticket to go to like London for her elective and that summer. But for me, I got um, in, I got stuck in Baltimore 
And so I was like, had these ideas that I would go to London and explore my sexuality, like away from everything. And instead, um, I had to kind of work it out like where, where I was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of talking about exploring like my passivity, like my passivity about racism, my passivity about my own sexuality and my own identity and, um, how to like, just take a chance and be active and um, or at least even just be a witness to something and be able to talk about it, which I don't think I knew how to do back then with with what was going on there. And it's really interesting because I think if you drop deeper and let people tell their true stories, like, I mean, it's hard to say, but like I could tell you write the Bobby Bermea story and you could write the Greg Berman story and it'd be interesting to swap and see what we came up with. But we can do that. You know, we're allowed to do that in some ways. We would fictionalize it and flip it around and whatever, but you would be like a wonderful inspiration and I could do the same and we we can cross different lines um, if if we figure out how to do it creatively, respectfully, artfully, which is hard. Right. Well, I started writing this right after um, um, George Floyd. Um, basically, uh, I'm home. You know, I feel like we were in lockdown or quasi lockdown still when that all sort of happened. Mm-hmm. And I was just feeling so hopeless um, and not sure what to do and worried about virus and all that stuff. So I just started writing. And so I was like, well, what stories do I have to tell that might reflect on this? And that's kind of where this came from great so what's the next part you want to read um let's just pick up where we just finished to the end the group managed to get her into the seclusion room she was in there door open everyone standing around and that's when it started sound of v banging the back of her head repeatedly into the seclusion room wall bang 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 Everyone stood around watching V repeatedly bang the back of her head into the seclusion room wall. Bang, bang, bang. How about we send in the boy? The what now? Me? Bang, bang, bang. G goes into the seclusion room, getting as close as he can to V. Violet? Um, hi. Can you please step away from the... Bang, bang, bang. It wasn't working. Someone came at her with a shot, and everyone climbed on top of her and strapped her down. And she got quiet, and they locked the door. Slam, darkness, calm after the storm. Dimming light opens up like a new day. Jimmy Carter is still alive, and at 95, I'm still convinced he knows nothing about the Carter Center. Months after my time at the Carter Center, I ran into the other med students from my rotation who told me, no, the unit never offered condoms to the patients like they'd suggested, and the O.J. Handlebar guy got HIV from Miss A, and then he gave it to V, who got pregnant. At the end of my rotation, like on the last day, V gave me this. G picks up the blue envelope, opens it, and removes the card opening it up like a book held up by the black evening gloves. She made this card in one of her art groups. On the front, there used to be pressed purple flowers. You can still see them a little. Inside, she wrote very neatly in big black magic marker, Dear Mr. G, you helped me a lot, and now it's time for you to go on with yours and me with mine. Thanks and good luck. G closes the card, regards it. Puts it back in the box. Lights fade. 
This sounds like a heck of a piece, man. Uh, it sounds like it's going some deep, dark places uh, and some stuff that's going to be like theatrically exciting, I would think, you know? Yeah, I, just, I feel like um, we're left with things that are kind of like unfixable. Like I said, I guess you just, for me, I just have to witness it. Like when you hear that someone you kind of got close to in a way um, was really like assaulted um, because they were stuck on this ward and there were no condoms and then they got HIV. And back then, you know, this is like before um, there were like antiretrovirals. Mm -hmm. So she would have had a HIV positive baby and um, unless she got an abortion. And anyway, it's all just so horrible. I guess just the idea that there was like racial disparity um, in terms of people being stuck there is something that feels impossible to deal with and really horrible and hard. Um, right. And also, as I tell it, there's like a separateness, like I'm so innocent. Um, um, and the thing is, it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to speak up or how to say, say something about these things. I have no idea how I would have. Um, and I still right now feel like um, with a lot of the things going on right now, I'm struggling to figure out any action on my part that yeah. would be helpful. It takes a whole lot of courage, though. Or where is that piece of like true action that could sprout into something good versus just other bullshit that's down there? Um, and it's just so hard to make sense of. Like with V, when you're reading about V and she's banging her head against the wall. What is that? inside of her that is so intense that she's going there with it mm -hmm. you know what makes people destroy themselves when they're in a really hard hard moment right right what them to make that choice and so often um, i wonder is, is that the same thing that say drives michelangelo to create this beautiful work of art but but v doesn't have that other thing that she's supposed to be doing with this right or maybe she does have these impulses, but she's not given the room or the space to do it. Mm -hmm. Because when people are pr imprisoned in boxes, you know, they they go mad. Hmm. And that's and that's a lot of us. We have boxes just yeah. walking around in our right. everyday life. I mean, um, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but in the play Bartow that we worked on together, I wrote about this beast because I, uh, in the in the art of Rick Barto, there's always this like scary darkness. And I just always, I just feel like he's speaking to us and t saying like, look, we all have these giant beasts inside of us that are just willing to gobble us up and swallow us whole. And some days, some days we're biting right along with them on ourselves and other days um, we're, we're getting through and, you know, maybe picking up the pieces and starting over. And that's just, that's just like a process in in life. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and we're right towards the end. So uh, maybe now is a good time. Um, tell people about this new play, which I just read, uh, Barto. Uh, Rick um, Barto is a Oregonian artist who um, my dear friend Charles Froelich represents. And um, I spent a lot of time just studying his art and his life and creating a story inside of his works of art. Um so that um, there is a young uh, med student who is finding his queer identity um, or maybe putting it off, um, and he wants to be an artist too. And so he explores 
all of that by um, falling in with Rick Bartow into his art um, right after Rick has had a stroke and um, trying to figure out how to get through an unfixable problem of a stroke that's going to take away all of Rick Bartow's artistic abilities. And in life, Rick Bartow had a stroke um, and came back and made amazing art for three more years until he died of heart failure. Eventually. And where is this play in its development? Um, well, um, I'm not really sure. It's like uh, on the shelf waiting to figure out its next path right now. We were hoping to, it's, and you are, you are part of Lionstorm or playwright or? No, I'm a, um, I'm a solo on my own person. <laughs> right on. Um, but, um, I, uh, finished my MFA a few years ago and, um, um, I'm hoping Bartow finds a home back when theaters are a real thing. Um, we just had this wonderful reading through the Dramatist Guild and, um, uh, I did post it on YouTube. If anyone's interested, they can look up, um, Bartow. Um, play on YouTube and maybe Greg Berman Bartow play right, get you right. there. and you can see Bobby plays a really great <laughs> character who is based on a true story of my med student experience of a, a patient who all he said was fuck <laughs> right on man <laughs> that is Greg Berman playwright and psychiatrist and that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World Voices from the Real World was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, Lion Producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, Sound Engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, Composer, and was recorded at the Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bermea and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world, real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash communityprofile. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at bobbyb at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out. Peace out.